Well, again, it's good to be here tonight. It's good to uh, come back to the States every so often and kind of reconnect with our uh, churches that support us. And we've been in uh, several churches. We came back to the States in uh, August last year, started uh, going around in September. And so we've been in several churches, mainly in the Midwest, uh, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and had to suffer for Jesus a little bit down Florida the last few weeks when it was like 10 below here. We were down in Florida, so it was good to be uh, down there for a while. And uh, got to spend some time with my sister. She's retired and lives down there. So it's, I had to spend a couple of weeks with her because she had worked uh, in the Bahamas for several years, in Brazil several years because we were in Zambia. So really, the only time we got to really see my brothers and sisters, the Marsh's brothers and sisters, we came home for funerals or weddings, other than that. So it was good to have, spend some time there uh, with my sister for a while and be in some of those churches. We were back in Springfield, Missouri last week in a church in their mission conference as well. And we've seen God do some great things uh, while we've been back uh, around our churches. We know we, we like to give a, a hard time to what's going on in America. America's still a great place. Amen. America's still that lighthouse on the hill. Uh, so no matter what's going on in our country, never forget I don't care where you go, people want to come to America. America is a great country. We have our faults, I understand that. We're still a great country. We've got some great churches in this country. We've got some great Christians in this country. So it's just a privilege uh, to be here with you tonight and have, uh, see what God has for us this week. The, your, uh, your, uh, uh, your theme this week is in, uh, into His harvest. And never forget, it's not our work, it's God's. It's God's work. God's one that calls people at his harvest field. God's one that gives the increase. So let's never forget that as we look uh, uh, tonight at God's word. If you would stand with me tonight, I'm just going to read four verses. I'm going to keep you standing too long. But if you turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13, the book of Acts, chapter 13. Uh, I really didn't know what your theme was uh, until I got here. Maybe I should have known that. I don't know, but I didn't. Uh, but this theme goes really well with what I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about the first two missionaries that were sent out by a church in Antioch. And we're going to see here tonight how God chose them to go out into his harvest field. And, uh, you know, you're looking back on church history and just, uh, and just amazing what God has done with two men that started it all in Acts 13. Acts 13, 1 through 4. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manahan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Father, we do bow before your throne again tonight. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be in this house, in this place. And Lord, we pray tonight for this service here tonight, as well as the services the rest of the week. I, I pray that you guide each one who handles your word this week. I pray for each song that's going to be sung and each testimony that's going to be given and each video that people are going to watch. You might use these things to burden the hearts of your people once again for the cause of Christ. 
For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message tonight is The Mission of the Church is Missions. It's a simple message, but I think it's a very uh, profound message as well. The mission of the church is missions. Before we came back to the States, I began teaching through the book of Acts in our adult uh, Bible study time in, at Cornerstone Baptist Church in, in Dola. I started, I started teaching the book of Acts probably over a year ago. I like teaching through books. I go through books verse by verse, and I love doing that. Because number one, I believe it gives me some direction as, as the one teaching that. But also, I believe it gives the church some direction. It help, I think it helps the church understand what these books are all about. So I think it's a good thing to do. And we're going to get back. Uh, we're going back next month. Next month, uh, uh, April the 12th, we're going to head back to Zambia. We're going to go back and finish this book and uh, start teaching it to another book. But I think it's important to understand, you look at a, a book of the Bible, to try to understand why did the author write this book? Why did Luke, the human author, write the book of Acts? Why did God, the real author, give this to Luke to have a, a, a copy of it, a record of it for us today? And I believe without a doubt, the, 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 the most important book in all the New Testament is Acts. I don't think without the book of Acts, there'd even be a New Testament. Paul, of course, who wrote half the New Testament, wrote many of the, uh, the books of the New Testament back to churches that he started on his missionary journeys recorded in the book of Acts. He wrote a few books to young men that he spent time with training these young men, uh, Timothy and Titus and others. He wrote these books of these young men that we have today. So I don't think without the book of Acts, we'd even have a New Testament. So it's very important for us to understand and get the, the concept, get the reason behind the, the, the writing of the book of Acts and why we have it today. And when you study this book, it gives us some very detailed instructions on how to carry out the Great Commission. Of course, we know the Great Commission is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. Didn't start there. It was found way back in the Old Testament as well. But anyway, we have it recorded in the New Testament in five different books. But when you look at this book in particular, it gives us a very detailed instruction on how to carry out His commission. It's, we call it the Great Commission. That's not, that term's not found in the Bible, but it is a Great Commission. It's His commission. It's His harvest. So we detailed uh, instructions how to do it. And of course, you go back to Acts 1.8. It gives us what they carried out in their lifetimes. Jesus spoke these words, the very last words spoken by Christ before He ascended back to the Father is recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 8. And He said this, we know it. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. And you study the book of Acts, you'll find out they did exactly what Christ told them to do in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Because they began in Jerusalem. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts talks about them beginning in, the, in Jerusalem. It starts off, of course, with the great sermon Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, and the Bible says 3,000 souls were saved. Acts chapter 4, 5,000 were saved. Acts chapter 5, multitudes, the Bible says, came to Christ. Acts chapter 6, the disciples greatly multiplied. So they began in their Jerusalem. 
And by the way, you can't begin somewhere else if you're not doing it right here. So we have to begin where we are. Of course, where they were was in Jerusalem. So they began in, in Jerusalem. You move on to Acts chapter uh, 8 and 10. They began reaching out into Judea and even into Samaria. We have Philip in Acts chapter 8, Ethiopian eunuch. We have Peter in Acts chapter 10, taking the gospel to Cornelius' house, the Gentile's house, something Jews in that day did not do. And in between there, we have Acts chapter 9, where Paul, the great persecutor Saul, became the great apostle Paul, where he gave his life to Christ on the Damascus Road. But in your movie, you, you look at chapters 11 through 12, because a great persecution really beginning in chapter seven where Stephen was stoned to death because of great persecution, the Bible says that the disciples were scattered. They fled Jerusalem, all but the apostles. And the Bible says they went as far as Antioch. So the church at Jerusalem found out there were some believers in Antioch. They sent some people up there to check out what was going on. And one of the men they sent up there was Barnabas. So Barnabas arrives up in Antioch he was teaching and preaching the word in Antioch. And Barnabas remembers this young man, Saul. It says he went out to seek Saul. And he brought Saul back to Antioch. And for a year, Barnabas and Saul and others mentioned here in chapter one, we'll get to that in a little bit later on, verse one. For a year, they taught and preached the word of God in Antioch, Barnabas and Saul among other people as well. So that's chapters 12, 11 and 12. Now we're in chapter 13. In the book of Acts, like any other book in the Bible, there's several turning points in a, in, a, in, a, in a letter. One of those turning points is chapter 13 because it really divides the book. Chapters 1 through 12, it's Jerusalem. It's Peter, the main character. Chapter 13 onward, it's a church in Antioch. Now it's Paul, the main character. So it divides the book, but also carries out this commission. They were in Jerusalem. They started in Judea and into Samaria. Now in 13, the Bible says he went out to the other most part of the earth. Right. By the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, the Bible says that they, they had turned the world upside down. Really, they turned the world right side up. But they turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of a, the book of Acts in a nutshell. So bring it down to us today. We had the same commission they had. We're to carry out the gospel in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to do those things that they did. But when you look at, at, at churches in our day, and of course, I guess in any day, but any church exists for one purpose and one only purpose. Some would say the purpose of the church is to care for the membership of the church, to visit the sick, pray with them, care for members through transitions of life, such as marriage and childbirth and child rearing and death. Someone said the church exists to provide guidance and comfort through these most important times of life. And no doubt these are functions of the church because we do all these things. Any church does these things, but this is not the main business of the church. When a church slips into a maintenance mentality. In other words, let's just take care of us. Let's, let's just block off the world outside. Let's, let's don't worry about the people outside these walls. Let's just take care of what we have right here. When a church slips into a maintenance mentality and mark it down, churches do that. Churches kind of 
Forget about what's going on out there. Let's just take care of us. Let's just take care of what we have right here. When any church slips in this maintenance mentality, they have forsaken the reason that they exist. They've forsaken the main purpose of the church, and that is to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we think the church is just here for me. The church is here for us. In other words, what can the church do for me? And I understand that. There's nothing wrong with someone seeking a church maybe to find out what can the church offer my family? What can it do for my children, for my youth? I understand this thinking, but when the church gets in that main mentality that let's just, let's just worry about what, what the church can do for me, we forget we are the church. And a church is to go out and preach the gospel to all believers, uh, to all creatures, all peoples of the world. That's the main business of the church. So this brings me to the very point of this message is this. When any church loses spirit of the Great Commission, they have surrendered the reason they even meet. God's a missionary God. The Bible's a missionary book. The gospel's a missionary message. The church is a missionary institution. And when a church ceases to be missions minded, they betray the very reason that they exist. The church has many responsibilities, but one mission. That's to evangelize the nations of the world. There's several missionaries here today. Some of I, some I know, some of I, some I've, I've known the name, some I do not know. There's, the church, there, there's missionaries here from all over the world. And you support missionaries all over, this, all over the world. And I guarantee you this church right here, you look at all the missionaries you support around the world, I can, I can probably say this with confidence. The sun never sets on someone you're supporting talking to somebody about Christ. Amen. So when, when, it, when it, even though we have, we have a lot of responsibilities at church, our main responsibility is winning the lost. That's the reason the church exists. And a church not focused on the world is a church not founded on the word. And I want to just bring out three simple thoughts. I'm a very simple guy. I'm a farm kid. I grew up on a farm in Indiana. Uh, I don't like complicated things. I like easy things to understand. I'm going to bring out some very simple thoughts. Nothing new here. Maybe I can state them in a way that make you remember them. Hopefully I can do that tonight. But the first thought I see in this ver these, these verses is this. The church. I'm talking about us. <laughs> Southwest Baptist Church. The church is an incubator for missions. Amen. Or at least it should be. The church is an incubator for the cause of Christ. We, don't, we know what incubators are. Maybe a, a baby's born prematurely. They put it in an incubator, keep it warm. You raise chickens or whatever. They put them in incubators underneath uh, heat lamps to keep them warm so they won't die. They can function on their own. So the, the church is or should be an incubator for missions. And we see this in this great missions-minded church at Antioch. And even the modern missions movement we see today. I'm talking about the modern mission movement, which began with, you know, David Livingston, Adoniram Judson, those guys two, three hundred years ago. This modern mission movement we see today did not start with David Livingston going to Africa. 
It started 2,000 years ago at a little church in Antioch where God called missionaries out to take the gospel around the world. And if this did not exist, if Paul and Barnabas would not have went out, you and I may have never heard the gospel. Because Paul wanted, remember Paul, he wanted to go east. God said, no, that door's shut. Macedonian call, come over hither, come over here and help us. The gospel went west. We owe a lot to this church and of course to Paul and Barnabas as well. But the modern mission movement we see today was born out of a local church. We see all kinds of missions in Zambia. I'm assuming it's probably the same in any third world country. Maybe not so much in a first world country, but you go to a third world country, you see all kinds of missions coming into these countries. And these things we're going to talk about, I'm not opposed to these things. They're good things to do, but they're not biblical missions. Orphanages. I have a good friend of ours who was in Zambia several years. He's back in the States now. He was a missionary. And what he did, he, start, he built orphanages. I mean, physically built them, trained people to take over these orphanages. And they're still in existence today. I'm not opposed to orphanage in Zambia. Sometimes they're needed. Sure. But that's not the mission that Christ sent us out to do. Right. Schools. I'm not opposed to a school. A couple of our churches, we started have schools. We didn't start them. They did it themselves. There's nothing wrong with having a school to, to educate young people, to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. These are good things to do, but God did not call me to go to Zambia to start a school. There's missionaries, missionaries who go to foreign places and they teach life skills. How to farm, how to do this. Nothing wrong with those things. They're good things to do, but they are not biblical missions. So God has called us into his harvest to do his work. And his work is seeing people saved, teaching them all things, baptizing believers, organizing them into a group, into a church. That is, that is, that's God's work. He's called us to be part of that. So when God was about to launch the first great missionary movement, he did so based on a local church in Antioch. If any church is going to be an incubator for missions and missionaries must recognize that God is interested in saving people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every peoples of the earth. That's who God's interested in saving. And we see this incubator at work in this church in Antioch. First of all, we see here in the first verse, the church in Antioch was a very diverse church. There's great diversity. Just look at the names in chapter one, five of them. The first name we see there is Barnabas. We're introduced to Barnabas, I think it's chapter four, where Barnabas sold some land he had in Cyprus and brought it and laid it down to the apostles' feet. Barnabas was a Levite, a Jew of the tribe of Levi. He was well-to-do. That's Barnabas. He was a great man. He was a, a, a son of consolation, they called him. He was an encourager. He's the one that took the apostle Paul under his wing, introduced him to church at Jerusalem after he became a believer, after he became Paul. So that's Barnabas. There's a man named Simeon, also called Niger. Niger means he was a black man. Right. Certainly no race distinction in the church at Antioch. Right. 
There's a man named Lucius of Cyrene, ancient city in northern Africa. Don't know anything about this man at all. A man named Menahan, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, the one who chopped off the head of John the Baptist. He was from the ruling class of people. And then there was a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a great persecutor of the church. He was a Pharisee, a well-educated man. He knew the word of God inside and out. And on his way to Damascus in chapter nine, going to arrest those of the way, believers, to see them put to death like Stephen. Because remember Stephen? Remember the young man holding the coats at Stephen's uh, stoning? That was Saul. I don't think Saul ever got that out of his mind. On the Damascus road, the Lord spoke to Saul and Saul became a believer. So we have Saul, the educated man, Saul, the Pharisee. There was diversity of people in the church, Jews, Gentile, wealthy, common, all chosen and led by the same spirit of God to be uh, leaders in this church at Antioch. God can work through all different types of people from all different backgrounds and cultures and identities to build his church. Amen. We've been in Zambia now for 25 years. We got to Zambia the first term. And of course, we've been to Bible college four years. We worked on staff at Whittier Lane for almost two years. Spent about 18 months on deputation. I got to Zambia the first time and I thought, you know, I, I know, I know what I'm doing. But I found out in the first term, I know nothing what I was doing. But I found out very quickly, I had no clue what I was doing. Because I guarantee the things I do today, 25 years later, are nothing like I did when I first got to Zambia. You have to learn and adapt and grow and figure out the culture and do things, not the way other missionaries do things, yeah. do things the way God does things. Because if you watch other missionaries do things, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to make the same mistakes that they've made. We can do that. I've done some of those things, but I found out those things don't work. Let's just go back and do it God's way. That's the way we're supposed to do it. So there was great diversity in this church at Antioch. There was these men that God had called out, but also amongst diversity in the church, there was great character, unity of character as they ministered to the Lord. You read nothing in the book of uh, Church of Antioch was any problems in the church at Antioch. Go back and read about the church at Jerusalem. You can't say that about that church. There's all kinds of problems in the church at Jerusalem. But in Antioch, there was great unity in this church as well. So this was the incubator that God put in place to bring people in and through the church that God could call out. So the second thought is this. The Holy Spirit is the initiator Amen. of missions. Look at verse two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Verse four. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It was God himself who looked down the incubator of a church and called out two. The Holy Spirit issued the call for these missionaries and it was a very selective call. He chose Barnabas 
and he chose Saul. It was a very distinct call. It was not for everyone. God looked down on this incubator for church. I don't know how, how big a church in Antioch was. Probably a fairly large church. But he looked down and he said, I want separate me this one and separate me that one for the work I've called them to do. And it's no, it, worth noting, the call came while they were ministering. While they were serving. It's always that way. You know, I don't, I can't speak for all the missionaries here, all the pastors here. But if you talk to people in the, you talk to pastors, talk to missionaries, the call of God is, is somewhat similar. And what they were doing before they became, got into the ministry is somewhat similar. Usually men who are in the ministry were usually serving Lord in the church way before God called them. Because God uses these churches to prove people to bring them up, to see what they're made of. Marsha and I did not grow up in church. We went to church some as a kid. We didn't even know each other as, as kids, for one. My brother married her sister, and they hooked us up on a blind date. That's how we got together. But I did not grow up in church. My wife did not grow up in church. We were not saved until we were married two years. Some friends of ours invited us to church. Happened to be Brother Frank's Two sisters, Shirley and Debbie. We were same age. We got to run around together. Shirley's husband, Randy, and I were good friends, fifth grade all, through, all the way through fifth grade. So they, we started running around together. They invited us to go to church. Well, the first church service that not we went to, the first church service Marcia went to was Easter 1980. I didn't even go. So she went to church on Easter Sunday. Well, Wednesday, Wednesday, the church at that time, the ladies had a visitation program. So Shirley came out to our home and led my wife to the Lord on Wednesday. So I started going to church, not every Sunday. I started going some Sundays. I'd hit and miss from, from Easter time till through June. Well, I'd been to church enough times at Whittier Lane to realize that what I'd heard in other churches I'd been to it's not the same thing I heard at Whittier Lane Baptist Church. I was under conviction many, many times. I would sit somewhere in the back and hold on to the back of that pew at invitation time. But one Sunday morning, there was a, a guest speaker, a young evangelist. I can't even remember his name. A guest speaker came, preached the same message I heard before. I bowed my head in my seat and asked Christ to save me in my seat. Sunday night, the, the, the speaker was gone. Brother Frank preached. I came Sunday night to the altar and told Brother Frank the decision I made that Sunday morning. So we were saved. We were been married two years, but it wasn't long until we started getting busy in church. Marsha was teaching a Sunday school class, started working on the bus. Right? I drove the bus for a while. We mowed the grass. We uh, cleaned the church. It didn't matter whether it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Missions conference, uh, game night, work night. It didn't matter what was going on at church. If we were available, we were there. We were busy serving God in church as much as we could, working a job, serving the Lord in church. And then, like your church, 
missionaries started coming through mission conferences. I did not grow up in church. I knew nothing about tithing. I knew nothing about giving the faith promise missions. All this was new to me. And I got to be honest, I didn't like it. You mean you got to give, I got to give God 10% of my money. I work for that money. It's my money. Well, I found out, no, it's not my money. It's God's money. And then we had to start giving the missions. And I said, wait a minute. I got to give above 10% to God for missions. Yeah, that's how it works. So the very first faith promise I caught our field, I, I don't remember what, what it was, but I guarantee you it was not more than five bucks. It's probably like two. Because I was a young Christian, my faith was like this. Because I didn't grow up in church. Our kids grew up in church. We gave them every Sunday, we give our kids two quarters. This quarter's for tithe and this quarter's for missions from the nursery all the way through till they got to making more money themselves. I taught our kids early how to give, but I wasn't taught that. This was all new to us. But the thing of it is, we were busy serving God. And through a missions conference and a particular missionary, and of course the preaching of my pastor as well, God started speaking to our hearts about, I don't want your money. I want you. When your offering plate is passed, forget the money, just jump in the plate yourself. That's what God wants. God wants your heart. Once God has your heart, then everything else is just a piece of cake. So selective call. It was a very specific call. The work whereunto I have called them. They did not choose where they were going to go. They did not choose what they wanted to do. God had a work for them to do. And just as God did not just call anyone, he did not just call them to do anything. God had a certain task in mind for Saul and Barnabas. And the same call that God has for Saul and Barnabas is the same call God has for every Christian. It may not be to the mission field. It may not ever to be to come behind a pulpit and preach God's word. That may not, may not ever be the calling God has for you. But mark it down. It doesn't matter whether you're the one back somewhere where, all the, where their children are on Sunday mornings. You know, they're back in the back. They have all the nursery workers back there and all the preschool workers back there. Whether it's the preschool kid, a worker teaching those little snot-nosed kids. Whether it's Brother Gaddis preaching behind the pulpit. The ministry and the call is the same and it's equal. It's not that he's any better than that person teaching children. I'm no better than anybody else. What you see is who I am. I don't want to be on a pedestal. I don't deserve to be on a pedestal. And if you really knew me, I've heard, I've heard preachers say this, but I don't know if it's true of them. I know it's true of me. If you really knew me, you would think that's the last person God could ever use to preach anything. Matter of fact, when I went and told my pastor, I think God's calling us to be missionaries. We talked about some of these things. And what, you know what Brother Frank told me? When God calls, God equips. And the first thing he did after I told him oh, God was going to call the missionaries. The first thing Brother Frank did was give me a Sunday school class to teach. 
a class that didn't even exist. It was a college and career age class. Had about four or five people in our church that were old enough at that time out of high school. He gave me that class. Why did he do that? Incubator. Put me under the heat. See what's going to happen. That's why he did it. Our pastor's mother just passed away uh, last year. She was 90. Velma Wood and Ruby Sexton taught the preschool class at Winterland Baptist Church for probably over 30 years. 30 years. That was their calling. They stuck with it. So whether God may never call you to the mission field. And if he doesn't, my advice would be don't go. If God doesn't call you into the ministry, don't volunteer. Let God do the calling. But God has a place for you to serve him. It may never be behind a pulpit, but whatever calling God, that's a, that's a, God, that's a calling God has for you. And my advice was to be do what God has called you to do. But I know in a church this size and with the college kids here, I know God calls people into the mission field. I know that. God calls people into his service. God has a particular place for him. Amen. If you think God is calling you to work with youth, Amen. come talk to me. Zam is about 20 million. 10 of those million are 18 year old or younger. Most of Sub-Saharan Africa is that way. You want to work with youth? Come to Zambia. We've got tons of them. We've got thousands of them. We've got lots of youth to work with in Zambia. But God calls people the places he sees fit to call them. The third thing I want you to notice here in these verses, the church is the incubator. The spirit of God, God himself is the initiator. The third thought is this, believers, Christians. We are simply investors in missions, investors. I know we give our tithes and we give our offerings. I understand that. But think of it not as a gift. Think of it as an investment. An investment is, is something you're not going to use your investment tomorrow or next week or next month. Investment is something long term. Investment is something you put up for the future. Missions is simply an investment in the missions program, that's God's program. The Great Commission is a call and a commandment for every believer. Every Christian is to have a part in the gospel being preached into all nations and to every 8 billion people on earth today. You may never be the one God calls to go but you are the one God calls to send. We, we still give the missions through Whittier Land Baptist Church. Have been the whole time we've been missionaries. Our tithes go back every month. Our, our missions money goes back every month. We have a part, all the missionaries our church supports, we have a part in that because we're part of that church. We're investing in the missions program of Whittier Land Baptist Church. So my advice for you at Southwest, if you're a member here today, do some investing in the plan of God. This may be your very first 
time to give to missions. Start somewhere. Do something. I remember my brother Frank challenging us. Step out by faith. See what God can do. I remember it was early, early, we were saved in 80. I'm guessing 82 or 83. We were just new in giving and new in giving to missions. And our church had a project to buy a new um, uh, van, 15 passenger van. And Brother Frank came up with a very unique way of buying this van. And he called it Trade Places with God Sunday. Exactly what it means. One week, give God 90% and you keep 10%. We're going to take the extra 80% that comes in and we're going to buy a van with it. It wasn't a new van, but it was a good used van. And so that's what we did. He promoted this for a long time because, you know, human nature. <laughs> so Marsha, we talked about it. And I worked for the county highway department at the time. I, I was the one that plowed a snow plow truck. That's what I did for 11 years. I worked for the highway department. So he challenged us, Malachi, other places, step out, my, put God to the test. We talked about it. No way. If we get 9%, I won't have any money to pay a rent. I can't buy groceries. Can't do it. He challenged us, challenged us. So finally I said, well, okay, let's just see what God will do. So I wrote my 90% tithe out, dropped it to plate Sunday. I went to work Monday morning. About nine o'clock, Marsha was home, phone rang. Is there a grocery store in our town that's not even there anymore? What you would do, you would buy groceries, you would take the till slips on your name, put your phone number on it, drop it in a box. And we would do our big shopping about once a month, you know, the bigger things. So Monday morning, nine o'clock, after Sunday giving 90% tithe, Becker's called, and guess who won? I've never won anything before that time. I've never won anything after that time. <laughs> but that in itself proved to me, if you trust God, God will meet your needs. Do something for the cause of Christ. Invest in missions. A couple of ways to invest. These are not new, not profound. Number one, the purse has to be opened. You have to give. Zambia doesn't let us come in. The Zambia is very open with the gospel. They're, they want missionaries to come. It's not a problem being Zambia. In Zambia to be a missionary. They want missionaries there. But they don't give us the house to live in. They don't pay our electric bill. They don't pay our gas bill. We have to pay our own bills. It costs money to go to Zambia. It costs money to go to Portugal. It costs money to go to Russia. It costs money to live in Oklahoma City. These lights don't come on just because you're a church. They don't give you electricity. Giving to the Lord's work costs some money. The purse must be open. Not every person is called to go to the mission field, but every believer can be a partner with those whom God has called by supporting those whom God has called to go. And if you are not called to go to the field, you are called to give so others can go. If you are not going or giving, 
You're not fulfilling your part of his harvest field. So the question to ask tonight is who is going to Africa because of you? And you is not the church. You is you individually. Who's going to Africa because of you? Who's going to Europe because of you? Who's going to Central America, South America because of you? I usually ask a question when I'm preaching, if anybody's ever heard of Nauru. Of course, you guys have heard of Nauru because you support a missionary in Nauru. He's out of our home church. But Nauru is a little idol in the middle of nowhere. I've not been there. My pastor's been there. But Nauru, there's a road around Nauru. It's eight miles. That's it, eight miles. I don't know how many people live on Nauru. But I guarantee you, not many. But I, what I do know, there's people on Nauru that needed to hear the gospel. And God called Adam and Christy McGeorge to go to Nauru to preach the gospel. And they've been there for, I don't know, 10 years or so now. I do know this. In Zambia, there are villages all over. 75% of Zambians live in urban areas. But 25% live in the bush. I had a friend of mine who used to be a missionary. He's back pastoring in Illinois now. He was a missionary in Zambia for about 10 years. His work is mainly in the bush. Our work is mainly in and around uh, cities. So Tim called me up one time and said, hey, and we're going out to a new area to see about planning a church. You want to go out with us on this particular Sunday morning? So I drove to Tim's house, about an hour to Tim's house. We jumped in his Toyota Land Cruiser and took off down this dirt road for, I don't know, an hour or two, turned off into the bush. Just, you can see where cars been going in the bush. It wound down just a walking path. And we just, then we're just driving through the woods, just driving through the bush. About two hours or so passed, three hours. We came to a little village. They'd taken some trees about this big around, cut them off, put them in the ground cut some thatched roof, uh, thatched uh, down, some big elephant grass, put some elephant grass on, on top of it. There's about 50 people waiting for Tim and I to preach the gospel in a little village in the middle of nowhere. The uttermost part of the earth. So whether it's Oklahoma City, whether it's Nauru, whether it's a village in the middle of Africa, there's people that need to hear the gospel. And God calls people to send them to preach the gospel. And we are investing in the lives of people so they can go where God has called them to go. We must give and prayers. We must pray. The Bible says in verse, what, three and four, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. You know what I see in verses three and four? I see a commissioning service. I see Barnabas and Saul making it known God had called them to the mission field. I see the church praying for them, giving to them, uh, commissioning it, laying their hands upon them and sending them away. Seleucia was a seaport city, not very far from, from uh, um, Antioch. 
I can see them walking down to the seaport city. Barnabas saw getting up on the ship, waving goodbye to the church people as they sailed off to go to the mission field. 1994, our church had a commissioning service for us. Brother Booster came, preached the service. The church laid their hands upon us. They sent us out. We went out on deputation, raised our support in about 18 months. October the 2nd, I think it was, we drove to Indianapolis. Some of our church people went, some of our family members went. Went back uh, into departure lounge because that's 4911. You go back to departure lounge then. We said our goodbyes. We hugged. We kissed. We prayed. We were walking on the onto the onto the uh, jetway, and my wife said, "Never again." Meaning, never again are we going to the, to the airport with family members and church people. I'm not going to cry in front of people. We're going to say our goodbyes there and just go by ourselves. We jumped on a plane. We're from Indianapolis to Chicago, to Chicago, to London, London to Lusaka. First plane ride my wife and kids were ever on was we went to Zambia. They set us apart. They prayed for us. They supported us. They sent us out. The point is, it's a local church who sent these men out by the leading of the Holy Spirit to go out and to be missionaries, a place where God had called them to go. If the business of the church is not about God's business, the church has no business being in business. The church is the incubator. The Spirit of God is the initiator. We are simply investors in God's mission. Within the local church, we're to be personally and actively involved in Christ's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Christ alone can save the world. But Christ cannot save the world alone. He has chosen us to be part of his harvest field into the harvest. So tonight, are you involved in God's harvest in Oklahoma, in your Jerusalem? Are you involved in God's harvest in your Samaria, in your Judea, in your uttermost part of the earth? I know you are. I understand that as a church. But individually, are you involved in the missions program, not of the church, it's God's program. He just allows us to be part of it. Let's stand tonight. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to challenge you tonight to take what's been said. It's nothing new. Understand that. I want to challenge you to think about what you are doing or have been doing or going to do for the cause of Christ in this missions conference. I know you're going to fill a card out on Sunday. I know you've probably been praying about that. I understand that. But maybe God's been speaking to you about a ministry. You may not understand it all because I didn't understand it all. But the first step is simply coming and saying, God, here am I. Send me. That's when God will direct.
Father, thank you again for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Pray now that you have your will and way in all that we do uh, during this invitation time and pray that you have your will and way of all the people that's here tonight. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. 483 as Pastor Gaddis comes.